but we do continue to have a problem. And I believe we have, you know, especially like I say, in my area, too many wolves. Welcome back to Working Wild You, a show where we explore what it means to share the working landscape with people and wildlife from the crossroads of culture and science. I'm Jared Beaver. And I'm Alex Few. Okay, Alex, we cannot talk about wolves in the West without talking about what happened in Montana and Idaho during the 2021 legislative session. Oh, Jared, do we have to? I know. My head still hurts, but this is something we got to talk about. You're right. It's important. Here we go. Back in the beginning of 2021, a series of bills were up for debate in the Montana legislature. The explicit intent was to reduce the wolf population in the state to a sustainable level, but not less than the number of wolves necessary to support at least 15 breeding pairs. And that's the exact language from Senate Bill 314. And at the same time, a very similar thing was going on in Idaho. With the intent to reduce the wolf population in the state to a sustainable level, a sustainable level. These bills were signed into law in July 2021 and basically eliminated hunting quotas and bag limits for wolves while legalizing hunting with bait by night or day on private lands. Again, with the intent to reduce current wolf populations from roughly 1,100 wolves to not less than 15 breeding pairs. And this number is significant because anything below that threshold of 15 breeding pairs would trigger a process for relisting wolves in the state. And this bill was quite similar to ones passed in Idaho at the same time, but for this episode, we're going to stick with Montana for simplicity's sake. These bills were controversial, to say the least, in part because night hunting and baiting, well, it raises some questions about fair chase. So, as a hunter, what does fair chase mean to you? Well, what it means to me and, and what it could mean to others can be really different. I'll summarize the Boone and Crockett Club's position on fair chase, which is pretty much regarded as the standard. It says basically fair chase is the ethical, sportsmanlike, and lawful hunting of any wild game animal so that the hunter does not have an unfair advantage. Now, how does that really look, especially with evolving technology and new tools and gadgets? Well, it, that's a good question, and it's complicated. So some of the practices introduced in the 2021 legislative session were previously deemed unethical by Boone and Crockett's fair chase standards. So these standards specifically for big game prevent hunting at night and using thermal imaging equipment for night vision under fair chase. Other bills also allowed expenses for wolf hunters to be reimbursed. So these bills certainly upended some long-standing norms around wolf hunting in Montana. And as with any controversy, people can be quick to back into their corners. I rise in opposition, strong opposition to 314. This bill is nothing short of a declaration of war on wolves in Yellowstone and Montana. I've hunted wolves for going on 
oh, 18 years now. And knowing the, the cost of trying to catch these things and, and run them down, and it's, it's very expensive. And uh, please support this bill. To us, this bill is a violation of the North American model of wildlife conservation prohibition on market hunting. It's payment for presentation of a dead body, and that's a bounty. We support this bill and, and uh, liberalize areas that need to be liberalized. Thank you. Today on Working Wild U, we're going to go one step deeper into this controversy. We're looking to find nuance in these polarizing wildlife management issues. And this episode is no exception. Fish and wildlife should never be a political issue. It's a biological issue and try to keep politics out of it. We spoke with Dan Vermillion to understand where these bills came from. And well, I'll just let him introduce himself. Uh, so my name is Dan Vermillion. I grew up in Billings, Montana. I live in Livingston, Montana, and then served on the Fish and Wildlife Commission for Montana from January of 2007 to April of 2019. So wildlife commissions, what Dan is referring to here, are citizen boards appointed by the governor. They set regulations and policies for wildlife programs, and they're an important way to add local input into state wildlife management issues. So, I mean, the way the commission works, we basically can fill all the regulatory holes that the legislature doesn't explicitly take away from us. In short, the legislature passes broad laws, and then this commission applies those laws with rules and regs for the management of wildlife. And in the Montana legislature in 2021, the bills came with explicit intent to reduce the wolf population. So the beef a lot of people had is that this sounds like legislating wildlife management, decisions that are typically made by the state wildlife agency and the commission. Some see this as a disturbing trend in the West, legislation forcing the hand of wildlife management agencies more and more often. Towards the end of my commission meeting, we could do the entire meeting in about 20 minutes. Nobody showed up because we'd reached a point, at least in my opinion, where we had a good, robust hunting season. Landowners had opportunity to deal with wolves that were problematic. Folks like Dan felt that wolf management in Montana was on a pretty good track. The commission's hunting regulations found balance among diverse stakeholders that supported the population and managed wildlife conflicts. But now, things might be a little bit different. I think the sad part is it takes a lot of good people that they want to be part of the solution, part of the conversation, and it makes them just turn it off. And you lose a lot of good public buy-in because the two sides are at war with each other. Swings in policy around wolf management aren't good for building public trust. Most of us who steward working lands and wildlife realize that the practical and durable solution is in the middle someplace, not at the loud extremes. And so... When you look at the legislature and a lot of these changes that are creating a lot of headaches for the state of Montana, those were not put in place by ranchers. Those are not even for the ranchers. Um, it's a war on a certain type of wildlife. A lot of the land stewards I know just want to sell their cows, raise their kids, and run their business. Because I trust ranchers. Um, I've always trusted landowners. You know, they don't want the government in their business. And they also know that the best way to get government in their business is attract a lot of attention to themselves. And this sentiment is confirmed by science. A recent study found that rural Americans value conservation and wildlife 
but they just don't trust the federal government to make the right calls on these issues. So let's talk about the federal oversight that exists while wolves are under state management. So the new 2021 legislation in Montana and Idaho prompted several groups, including the Center for Biological Diversity, Humane Society, Sierra Club, and Western Watersheds to petition the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to relist wolves in the Northern Rockies. That's a lot of groups. Yeah, and that initiated a 90-day review period. And in September 2021, the service issued a positive finding that started a 12-month clock on the decision to relist. So the decision to relist from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service could come any day now. Right. And let's be clear, relisting wolves in the Northern Rockies creates the potential for more polarization, right? Absolutely. A paper authored by wolf managers and researchers in Wisconsin found that these swings in wolf status under the Endangered Species Act actually led to the unintended decline of local public support for wolves and a legislatively mandated wolf hunt. At the end of the day, it's the wildlife managers, landowners, livestock producers, and yes, wolves, who are caught in the middle of these pendulum swings in litigation, legislation, relisting, and delisting. Whew, I think my head's starting to hurt again. Yeah, so let's listen to Dan again. There's a big group of people in the middle that just wanna manage these wolves. Let's all get along, right? If we don't find a good path forward at the state level, we risk losing trust in the states to even be able to manage wolves. And that's incredibly important because as we covered in the last episode, state management of wildlife is the backbone of the North American model of wildlife conservation. It's also key to point out that unfortunately, this political whiplash goes both ways from federal oversight to local control. I mean, Colorado's a really good example. This is where voters decided, by narrow margin no less, to reintroduce wolves by ballot initiative. It's no wonder wildlife managers feel like they really have it coming from all sides. And let me tell you, burnout for wildlife biologists is real. There's only so much a person can take, but that's a rabbit hole for another day. After the break, we'll be taking a look at the impact of these bills and ask the question, what'd they really accomplish? Hey, Working Wild, you listeners. We think you'll like another show from the Western Landowners Alliance, the Onland Podcast, a show that features thoughtful conversations with people who are living and working on the land and shaping the future of stewardship in the American West. The Onland Podcast is the audio companion of Onland, the magazine of the Western Landowners Alliance. Check it out at onland.westernlandowners.org and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome back, folks. We were just talking about bills in the 2021 legislative session in Montana that aim to use hunting to reduce the size of the wolf population. There have been many claims that these bills in Montana signal a return to the days when government-sanctioned wolf hunting almost eliminated the species from the lower 48. Many people are afraid that hunting will wipe out the population again. But is that really a valid concern? On the ground in Montana, the 2021-2022 hunting season, 
hunters harvested 273 wolves statewide, which is only slightly above the average yearly take of 242 wolves. And it seems that wildlife managers in the state kind of had an inkling that this would be the result. Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks used a population model to estimate how the new regulations would impact the population. And the model predicted that the wolf population would drop from roughly 1,200 to 987 wolves. Regardless of what the exact number is, one thing to remember, wolves are tough son of a guns. They're smart, they're resilient, habitat generalists, and they have a lot of reproductive plasticity meaning they do really well in a lot of landscapes. Let's hear from former Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks wolf manager, Abby Nelson, about the potential impact of the new hunting regulations in Montana. The question is, what's the goal of increasing and liberalizing those methods of take? Is the goal to kill more wolves because the state as a whole wants to decrease the wolf population? And if that is the case, did those additional tools achieve that goal? And the answer is no, we didn't kill more wolves because of those tools. And also we enraged the public that care about what, how wolves are hunted. Even among wildlife biologists and managers, they feel the true threat to wolves is not hunting, it's habitat loss. And that's why it's so important to keep working lands working in a state like Montana where nearly 70% of the land is privately owned. Without private lands that host these animals, allotments that are used for grazing, without those lands, we kinda, we don't have anything for these species. Um, you just have little islands of, of national parks that there's thousands of wolves in the Northern Rockies and only about 100 in Yellowstone. For now, Given that there's been little meaningful reduction in the population of wolves as a result of these hunting bills, we kind of had to ask, what's the point? And we asked this question to another former wolf manager, Mike Jimenez. My name is Mike Jimenez. I was uh, worked for the Fish and Wildlife Service, Nez Perce Tribe, state agencies for, um, boy, the better part of 30 years in wolves. And we asked Mike, what got him into this line of work? Bad decisions uh, repeated. <laughs> it's a standard line. We all reminisce. It's like, what were we thinking? <laughs> Why did we do It's just a series of bad decisions, yes. We asked Mike, what's the point of these bills? A lot of wolf issues has nothing to do with wolves. And it has far more to do with politics. It's like, it's like a flag. People die for the flag. Well, I, I, would, I would offer that wolves sometimes are seen as a flag and, or a vehicle for one side versus the other. In Montana, are wolves being used as a political vehicle, as Mike would say? Is this pushing people back further into their corners? When we come back from the break, we'll dig into questions like this a little bit more and try and chart a path forward that, who knows, might slow that pesky pendulum swing. Working Wild U is a proud part of Natural Resources University, a podcast network delivering science-based information for your natural resource management. Other current network series include Timber University, Fish University, Deer University, Fire University, and Habitat University. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
Okay. Before the break, we heard Mike Jimenez say wolves are being used as a vehicle. So how do we avoid this in the future? I mean, being upfront and clear on your goals and management objectives, I think, can minimize conflict and create durable solutions that leave little room for these big pendulum swings. And one thing that kept coming up in all of our interviews on this topic... Wyoming. 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 Wyoming stuck to its guns. Yes, Wyoming. My neck of the woods. You see, when the state was asked to draft their wolf management plan, they took a bit of a different approach. Here's Ken Mills, the wolf biologist with Wyoming Game and Fish, who you heard from in the last episode talking about this a little bit. You see these subsequent legislative changes um, more recently is to try and liberalize wolf hunting to move the population in a direction where they're trying to get it to go. Again, right or wrong, that's not what I'm saying. That's just why I think they've done it, my observations. We went through a lot of that process at the front end. Go, you know, dual status, predatory animals, trophy game animals. We went through a lot of that process. Wyoming just kind of stuck to its original plan and created a system that the legislature, commission, and game and fish department, and to a large extent, the people in the state feel works for the long-term viability of the wolf and recognizes the concerns of the citizens, the livestock growers, and the hunters of the state. And let's be clear, Wyoming's wolf plan was highly controversial at the time it was being developed. But there are still lessons to learn from its process and ground-up approach, and the durability of keeping wolves within their social caring capacity from the outset. And right up front, the process included the legislature, the commission, public input, and was signed off by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Though this last bit, delisting, took some time, and as with most things with wolves, was not without its legal challenges. I mean, the ideal decision-making process is first and foremost, we're all talking. This is Doug Smith again, a senior research biologist with the Park Service and the head of the Yellowstone Wolf Project. We hear what they have to say, they hear what we have to say, we go back and forth, and, and that negotiation results in hard-won compromises in terms of numbers. And then those policies are advanced to the political level, and the politicians would see the transparency of how the process went on and accept the recommendations. And now, and that's a bottom-up process. And actually, that's how Wyoming works right now. Wyoming, small state, 500,000 people, is bottom-up. The other states, not so much. It's coming top-down. And the expertise and knowledge and data doesn't dwell at top-down levels. And I think that's a big problem. That's right. Jim Williams, a former Montana fish, wildlife, and parks biologist, says, if it's local and rural, it's durable. So when things come top-down, the commission, the general public, and the legislature can get out of sorts. And we can see these swings in wildlife management outside of normal decision-making paths, whether by ballot initiative or legislation instead of compromise. They've got a wolf management specialist named Ken Mills. Ken Mills is on top of all this. And what he does is he sees what the population is. He reports into Wyoming Game and Fish. Wyoming Game and Fish reports into the legislature, governor's office, game commission, and 
they pretty much go along with those recommendations. And that's exactly the process that it's done in Wyoming. And it's deliberately middle of the road, deliberately. Doug went on to say that there are things that he doesn't agree with in the Wyoming Wolf Management Plan, including the ability to hunt wolves without a season, quota, or license in the predator zone that encompasses nearly 80% of the state. And that predator management zone remains contentious. When we look at Wyoming, we see a state wolf management plan that's been clear and upfront from the get-go and has worked as it's been intended. Wyoming's plan, paired with consistency and communication, has built trust from hunters to ranchers to biologists alike. When we go through thoughtful, scientifically informed, collaborative, bottom-up processes with input from local communities, wildlife agencies, and tribes, states will be able to determine sustainable hunting quotas that will not hurt wolves' ability to thrive in the West. And being transparent with information about wildlife populations, management, and animal movements not only keeps wolves from being relisted, but it can help diffuse conflicts among landowners and stakeholders. And we're not saying that other states haven't done this by any means. It just should be an emphasis going forward. Because when you legislate large swings in managing wolves with the goal of significantly reducing or increasing populations, it gets really tough to slow it down. It's mostly just going to cause a lot of headache and pushback. Whether it's legislation, relisting, or ballot initiatives, we just need to find ways to slow the pendulum swing that's leaving folks in the middle hanging on for dear life. And speaking of pendulum swings, We've already had a reversal following the 2021 hunting season in Montana. Don't worry, we'll give you the full intro next episode. But for now, it suffice to say that many wolves that used the park were killed as they crossed the park's northern border into Montana. And that caused public outcry. And in response, the Montana Fish and Wildlife Commission voted to create a new wolf management unit on the northern border of the park. So join us next time to learn more about this decision and more on Yellowstone Wolves. Working Wild U is a production of Montana State University Extension and Western Landowners Alliance with support from the Arthur M. Blank Family Foundation, Western SARE, and you, our listeners. Today's episode was directed and edited by Zach Altman and produced by Matthew Collins, Zach Altman, Alex View, Jared Beaver, and Abby Nelson. Our hosts are Jared Beaver and Alex Few. Lewis Wirtz is our executive producer. Music is from Artlist and Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks to Kathleen Shannon for helping edit this episode. And special thanks to Doug Smith, Abby Nelson, Dan Vermillion, Mike Jimenez, and Ken Mills. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.